Hey everybody, it is episode 100 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris and Steve coming at you from Austin, Texas. How are you doing today, Steve? I'm doing fantastic. I'm really looking forward to this episode. This one's going to be fun. We're excited about it. It's actually it's actually our 115th episode to upload, <laughs> but our 100th numbered episode if you don't count the special edition episodes where we did race previews and things like that, post-race recaps. So this is 100, and we are going to do something a little bit different today. First of all, we're not going to do our typical intro. We're going to let this one stand on its own. We'll get back to talking about current events with our next one. But what we want to do with this one is essentially make one episode 100 our love letter to running to our audience, to the sport, to those who have participated with us through the podcast group and to our rogue community. We want to talk about basically why we love those groups, why we love what we do, what inspires us to keep doing what we do and why we sit here and record this every week for an hour and a half or so and not get paid for it. so there you go and then so we're gonna we're gonna go through that for a bit and then at the end we'll give you a little bit of a preview on what to expect from us in 2019 some things that will be coming before we jump in to our love letter steve i did want to give some you know interesting stats we've got we're approaching half a million downloads since we've been doing this going on, it'll be two years next month. Which, you know, in the podcast world, there are those episodes that might get, or those podcasts that might get a million downloads a month. And so there are much bigger ones. <laughs> but we've had a half a million people tune into us. And at this point, we're getting about 10,000 people listening to us a week, which is really, really cool for us and certainly more than we ever thought. We've got all 50 states represented in our listener base. We've got 106 countries behind the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Australia are the next three on the list. But then you've got Sweden, Norway, the Netherlands, Ireland, New Zealand, Germany, and the list goes on. So it's cool for us that we've been able to have that reach. I mean, just this week, we got an email from Ireland from a guy who was inspired by some of our content. And I got an email yesterday from a guy from Santiago, Chile, who followed our plan for New York and got a PR there just a couple of weekends ago. So it's just cool to be able to see that reach and certainly keeps us going and motivates us to keep creating this content. So with those stats as a little bit of context on how we're doing, we wanted to basically give, as I said, some thank yous and some shout outs to some different groups and I guess things you could call it. We're going to start with Steve just running in general. Like what about running gets us fired up? And so I'm going to start with you. And again, thank yous and shout outs, but you get the first one, Steve. All right. So my first shout out or my first thank you is to my dad, Tom Sisson. He introduced me to the sport. He's both my coach, my mentor, my cheerleader, my challenger. And uh, 
so I'm I'm I started this journey, you know, what now is coming up on 43 years ago and uh somehow I'm still doing it. Somehow I'm still putting one foot in front of the other. Um but I would never have gotten down that road or even started this process if it weren't for my father getting ready for the 1976 New York City Marathon. I had one of our listeners and members of our podcast training group, Mike Viola, who's a rogue here in town for a while, but he moved back to the city, NYC, and um, gave me a present while we were at the New York City Marathon, Chris. He, yeah. he had listened to the podcast in which I discussed my dad's impact on me, and he gave me this really cool poster that was from the 1976 New York City Marathon with a shot of the Verrazano Bridge as people were coming off of it, which was one of the first years where they were going bridge to bridge to bridge, so it was a lot of things going on with it. And um, anyway, thanks to Mike. I wanted to give a public thank you to him. But he recognized my dad's impact on me. And, um, you know, I didn't always see his presence in my running as positive. It's really hard to have your father be your coach and your dad um, to be your um, stick uh, to keep you moving and doing what you need to do, but yet still be um, someone you can talk to about life and all the other things that go on with being fathers and sons. Um, you know, he was my disciplinarian, but he was also the shoulder that I had to cry on as a young boy. And that's not easy. You know, the lines get blurry in every father and son relationship. Um, but you add to that the coach and athlete relationship and things can get messy. And we, we had messes, you know, that's, I was a firstborn son as well, so there were pressures about being, there's a lot of pressures, those who believe in birth order stuff, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so nothing terrible, it was just tough and messy sometimes. So neither of us got it right all the time, but we got it right most of the time, and that's why I'm still here, running and coaching. You know, I really do believe that you can't fake passion. It's, it's going to have to be authentic, it's going to have to be real. And if it's real, it can take the pressure, as I've said before. And um, everyone that knows me knows that I'm passionate about this sport and about my coaching career. And, you know, all of that, that life path and this vision of me as a runner and still doing running and actually working in the running world now, you know, 43 years after I started is it's all a complete debt to my father. And um, so I just want to say thanks, Dad. Hopefully you're listening. Thank you, Mr. Sisson. My dad was also instrumental for me. I'm not going to specifically give him a shout out, but he did his first marathon or first and only marathon when I was in high school. And I remember watching him run laps around the track as I was at soccer practice. And once he got that done, I wasn't even there. He just ran it, came home. It just stuck in my head as, hey, if my dad can do it, I'm going to do it. Always something I wanted to do because of that pursuit that he had with it. So. I owe him partial credit for my path too, but I wanted to give my first shout out and thank you to my college sweet mate, my, the best man in my wedding. His name's Kevin Ramage, lives in Dallas now. He's the one that essentially introduced me to running, at least in the sense that I, that I know it today. I was a soccer player, grew up playing that all my life once I decided to move on from soccer in college. I needed something to do, needed an outlet, and for one semester in college, I decided to play every single intramural sport offered, <laughs> including including 
badminton <laughs> and billiards and ping pong and tennis and you didn't softball. stick with ultimate I never played ultimate. Oh, that you would have been over for that you. That wasn't you actually an intramural sport <laughs> at the time. It was they had a club team, but anyway. But after that little interlude of basically trying to do everything, I decided that I needed some more focused pursuit. And my roommate, sweet mate, and good friend from college, Kevin, was a cross country runner in high school. And while he wasn't running in college, he still ran. And he said, hey, you should train for this 10K with me, the Houston Rodeo Run. And fortunately, 15 years of aerobic development on the soccer field put me in a pretty decent spot, starting spot for my entry into running. But he got me to do some very minimal formal training in preparation for that 10K, which consisted of three-mile loops around the what's called the Outer Loop at Rice University in Houston. And ultimately did the race, got bit by the bug, and that set me on a path to ultimately finding running as my passion. I have to give my wife an assist in there because about the same time I met her, we were friends initially, and one of our first sort of times hanging out, we went for a run together because she, at age 19, ran the Houston Marathon for the first time. And so she also became heavily influential in getting me down this running path. I remember actually with her joking with her or maybe not joking sort of throwing barbs that why would you ever need to run more than five miles at a time <laughs> as she was training for this marathon i didn't quite get it you've changed I, your point I, of view I, haven't I, yeah, you <laughs> she uh yeah she was instrumental in helping me change my point of view so there you go my first thank you and shout out to kevin and to my wife for being the very my very first influences within this sport Cool. Well, my next one is, um, again, these are over the broad sort of in general idea of running. And so I've stayed pretty broad. I mean, it was really specific with my dad, but I, I keep getting broader and broader as my uh, thank yous to running in general come about. So the next one I want to, to make a shout out to are my teammates. So I think teammates, um, running is such a solitary sport, Chris. Um, I've been re-listening to multiple podcast episodes as we're preparing for um, getting uh, some coaching education done in various locations around um, the country. And um, this topic, we, I've gone through a couple of the posts where we talk about team and how important team is. And it's just made me realize, you, you made the statement, Chris, that running is a sol- only a solitary sport if you let it be. And, um, you know, that's really true. And I, I have always been a bit of a loner when it came to my running because that's how I started. I didn't have a team. I started running. And I was six, and I didn't really have a team until I was in high school. And even in high school, I didn't have a very cohesive team. Um, I had a few key teammates that were really crucial and, 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 and helpful to me um, in areas that were much more associated with girls and drugs and alcohol than they were with um, you know, my running career and where I was as an athlete. I got woke up from a pretty con- really uh, church-based and Christian-based upbringing when I went to high school. It was like, wow, there's a whole bunch of other things out there whether positive or negative, I can't say for sure, but definitely woke me up, my teammates, to that. But to running itself, my real his- the real history of basically run- understanding what a team is is when I went to the University of Texas and ran with the, the men and the women. Um, the men's and women's programs were separate, but I was able to date some of the girls that were on the cross-country team and also to have lifelong friends with some of the guys who I ran and put the miles within at the University of Texas over those years. And even the guys I don't stay in touch with it's certain that 
at some point in time, if we bump into each other, we'll have a long-term conversation. I just saw one of my teammates, Derek Zelazny, ran another New York City Marathon, and again in the like 2.30 range for his race. Um, you know, I just think that that experience of being, having athletes changed my life because I was so solitary and individual in my processing as a runner, and to actually have a group of guys who I counted on to get results when we went to go to the NCAA championships and we needed seven guys to get to where we needed to be, five guys to score and two guys to displace. I mean, it became such an important thing. And I'll never forget the last year of my time at University of Texas, our last cross-country season together as we were prepped to go to the Knoxville, the course as it was set at Knoxville, Tennessee. We ended up getting fourth that year at the NCAA championships. And um, we were listening to Jane's Addictions, Ritual low, low Habitual, turned up to the loudest decibel level you could possibly. I think those speakers in that van are probably completely blown to this day. But those, that moment of, of knowing that we were on a mission to go do a thing and then doing the thing and all feeling so motivated and excited about that process was just incredible. Um, and also the teammates that I've developed over the years as, as a coach, that the athletes that I've coached, have, I have been on a team with them. And they have also taken me to the next level and made me realize that you're, to be your best self, frequently you need another person. You need other people to be with you doing the work that you're doing to get the most out of yourself. Because if you're just referencing yourself, it's not enough. You need others in that journey with you. Um, and so, you know, I think honestly that they, if you don't, if you're going to do this all by yourself and you're going to put the miles in and you're going to do all that work and have all those struggles and have all those, those experiences, you're going to be very strong. But I'm not sure you're going to be as strong as you could be if you did it with other people. There's something about having teammates and being on a team that has been influential, instrumental in my life and it made me realize how important community is and how important um, other people doing the same thing that you're doing are to the thing that you're doing. So that's my second shout out, Chris, to yeah. all the teammates I've had, both as an athlete and as a coach. I thank them all. Cheers to that. It makes it mean more, for one thing, I believe, to have that community to do it with, those teammates to challenge you, even if they aren't formal teammates like you initially talked about. All right, so my, my second one in this category, I've got to give a shout out to my left tibia. <laughs> <laughs> So as I, I believe I've told this story before, when I did train for my first marathon, I got a stress fracture in my left tibia that ultimately took me out of running for about three months as I was recovering from that after starting and restarting too quickly and eventually just having to be completely on the sidelines for about 90 days before I was able to start training again. But if it wasn't for that stress fracture then I'm not sure that my relationship with running would have gotten to where it got to because that put me on the sideline. It also frustrated me. It made me want to learn more about what I did wrong to cause this injury that took me out of the sport I'd started to learn to love. And so during those three months, I, I remember, and this is back in the day when you would like go to Barnes and Noble and read and maybe buy a book, maybe not, maybe just sit there for three hours. And I remember read, those days. Yeah, and just read a book for free. And I would literally sit there and just digest any running coaching book they had in the bookstore and ultimately bought some of them. But, became, but that began my journey to becoming a coach was that forced break, that sort of 
desire to figure out what I did wrong, try to learn from it. And I immersed myself in coaching content during that time because I didn't have anything else to do. And I wanted to make sure that I came back stronger. And so if it wasn't for that three-month break forced by my left tibia, I don't know if I ever would have had that time or the motivation even to get as deep in the coaching elements that I have that I did and and certainly that led me to where I am today. So so I got to give a shout out to that stress fracture which is also a reminder that hey, sometimes those setbacks end up being the very thing you need to put you where you need to be. Thanks for that perspective as I'm currently <laughs> wearing a boot, Chris. Right. Uh, maybe that maybe it'll take. So, right. yeah. It's good to know that that's something you think long-term as I'm sitting here saying it's the absolute worst thing that's ever happened to me in my life. I'd rather a Wolverine would eat my fucking leg than to be in this situation. But it's good to hear that. Yes. All right. So my next one, as I said, I went from specific out to more general, is I want to thank running itself. Um, A person I care about deeply and know very, uh, care about deeply recently wrote a a letter to running. And in it... um, it was, uh, it was really moving and a beautiful thing to read. And it made me think about this topic of how I feel about not the sport, but the act of moving through space. And, um, you know, it made me reflect that my experience of running really is kind of like having a parent that I had a difficult and contentious relationship with for 40 years. Um, some of you may have had a relation I didn't have I didn't have that relationship with my parents my parent my relationship with my parents has been fantastic all the way through but I've met many people who have on again off again relationships with their parents and big challenges they don't speak for long extended periods of time um, and that's how I feel about it with running it feels like that's been the case for 40 years it raised me and it made me into the man that I am today but I got resentful Chris and I got rebellious and I was like I had to be so disciplined and so focused and so driven towards one command performance as a young man, you know, at the age of nine or 10 or 11 years old, I'm, I'm in a relationship with this, this thing I do on a day-to-day basis that really put a lot of pressure on me. And, um, I fought back and I, you know, I, sometimes I, I like to say, I would call, I would call it names to its face and I would call it names behind its back. I rejected it when it only wanted me when it only wanted to be by my side, you know, I, re- I pushed it away um, when, it went, when I was laying on the ground in, in a pile of my own vomit, literally, and said, I don't really want you. I don't need you. Um, I'm going to do this myself. Um, but it never left my side, whether it was because of the people in my life who were running, whether teammates or, or life mates, or whether it was the fact that it became my occupation. It was always my occupation. I've lived and worked in the running world through many different ways and so, so many times, but I, I've tried to push away from it. I've tried to stay away from it. But now I'm so conscious of it as a life-sustaining force, and I really kneel to its power to change my life, um, both physically and psychically, spiritually, um, in every way. You know, its hard lessons have made me a better person. Um, and it's a gift, Chris, moving through space, being able to run, whether it's 105 degrees outside, whether it's, you know, 32 degrees outside, which is about as cold as it gets here. Um, 
I'm just so thankful to it. And you know, I am sorry for being a petulant little prick. I am. I do apologize to the sport, to to running itself for not for pushing it away and not using it because it was only trying to be my friend. And I do promise to make it up to running. Um, and I will be there to run it for running and with running through the good and the bad forever. As long as I can do this, as long as I can continue to use my feet and my legs to move through space, I will always remember and be thankful for running and the gift that it's given me. And to all our listeners out there who, who have had that feeling, you know what I'm talking about. Um, don't take it for granted. Don't ever take it for granted. Here, here to that. I have a similar final point in this first category, which is that I just want to give a shout out to running as a teacher, just kind of what you're talking about. But I was having a conversation recently with one of the athletes in my group, and she made the comment. She said, I don't understand people who don't get that running is about more than running. And and it sort of made me stop and pause for a second because because I think and know, especially as my life has evolved in the sport, that running is about so much more. It's a vehicle for life change. We talk about, you and I talk about that all the time. But her sort of pointing that out, you know, made me recognize and then ask myself the question why who are these people and why is it that they don't recognize that it's a vehicle for life change and i think there's various reasons for that some of them are the fault of those people and some of them are not some of it's how our sport is talked about some of it's how our society has a relationship with exercise as a thing that you do to just check a box or to get some outcome that's very frankly superficial weight loss or health or health markers or whatever it may be and so we've developed this transactional relationship as a society with things that we put in the category of exercise and so i think there are some people that show up simply checking that box so that they can get the outcome that they're trying to get. In some cases, in today's world, it's about a social media moment, perhaps. But as I then reflected with this athlete, I mean, it's about so much more than that. And our wish, as we talked about it, her and I, was that we could somehow continue to spread the gospel, so to speak, that running is about more, that it is about life change, that it is a teacher, and that if you approach it that way, and allow it into that headspace in your world that takes it beyond just moving through space and, and takes it into a place that, where it can transcend, transcend and transform you, then there's so much magic there. Now, what does that require? It requires being willing to ask yourself the questions like we ask on this podcast about why are you doing it? What is your purpose? And that's scary for a lot of people. I get it. But if you're still listening to us and listening to and or listening to this 100th episode for the first time, or you have a friend that you think could benefit from hearing this, send it their way. But it's about so much more if you're just willing <clears throat> to 
led it in to becoming more than just exercise. And what has it taught me? It's interesting. When I started in running, it was really just about a, a replacement in, in a sense for soccer. Soccer was my competitive outlet. And I was looking as a competitive person. I was looking for another competitive outlet. Running became that and doing races became that and trying not necessarily compete with others, but compete with myself. That became my competitive outlet. And since that point, though, as that was my entry point, I have sometimes stubbornly, sometimes without really trying, discovered in it so many other things from testing and finding my limits to learning humility to beating people that have taught me things that I couldn't have taught myself and that only 20 miles side by side in a conversation suffering together will teach you to finding a vocation and a passion that I can then teach to others and then be inspired back by their efforts that has pushed and transformed me in ways that are really too many to describe and so it's a great teacher and I just wish and hope that anybody who can hear us talk about it will be willing to take that leap to say, you know what? It's about more. I'm going to go on a bigger journey. I'm not just going to do a three and a five mile run and a workout here and there and check the boxes on a training macro. I'm going to let it into being something bigger. Yeah. It's so, uh, it's, I mean, what else is there to say? Really? Not much more there. Maybe <laughs> that's where we should have ended, but we're going to keep going. Our next category is we're going to talk about the sport at the, higher, at the highest level. You know, the sport in the context of those that compete in running for the Olympic Games and at the New York City Marathon, because obviously that's a big part of what we talk about in our intros every week, and it means a lot to us, and it's a big part of the inspiration for us. So first, first set of shout outs was sort of running in general. Second, running at the highest level. So what do you have to start here? Chris, I'm going to start with um, a person who I think could be the most important person in the history of the sport of running. Others may disagree with me, um, and I'll, I know there's, and that's what's wonderful about having a sounding board is that we're able to make broad, bold, sweeping statements that others can respond to and tell us how we're wrong. But my first shout out is to the great author, Lydiard. Um you know, when we started this podcast, Chris, I think our first episode went through a discussion of the impact that Arthur Lydiard had on us individually, but more importantly, on the sport and the way that we look at how we prepare athletes for um, getting ready for big races. And Arthur Lydiard is the impetus of Rogue itself. He's the impetus behind this podcast, even if it is not necessarily the direct line of that. His lessons continue to give insights and the unequivocal commitment of giving your all, which was his, I think one of his foundational principles, we didn't talk about this, Chris, but I like to use the term all the way the fuck in for how much you have to be in for the thing that you want. And that is, Arthur Lydiard was 100% that. Here's a guy who didn't even start running until he was 50, who basically flogged himself mercilessly to get himself in some kind of shape, 
ran really fast times for the marathon given the time basically using him using his own body as an experiment a laboratory and using his experiments to push his body to the furthest limits running 100 plus more miles a week at a time when no everyone was running short distances and doing sprints chris he was just a complete and utter game changer and he changed the way we look at the way we train he looked at the way we look at how people can how someone from a small country or from a less likely place to be running fast can be fast he took basically seven to ten men from this country of New Zealand, which was so tiny and had so few people, and he won medal after medal after medal in the first few Olympiads, 1960-1964. Chris, he just set the tone for so many things that, um, that changed our sport. I know that there will be people out there who will say that the most important impact on our sport was someone like you know, Roger Bannister's sub four minute mile, which certainly brought running to a much larger stage and people paid attention to it in such a way. Now people might say Ilya Kipchoge and the things that he's doing, he's the most biggest influence. But to me, you don't, you, you, you don't get what we have now in our sport and you don't have our sport at the level that it is now without an Arthur Lydiard. And so to me, he is the single most important human being to the sport of track and field and especially distance running and marathon running. So I'm thankful for him, Chris. I'm thankful for him and the lessons we've learned. I had an opportunity to meet Arthur in the last week of his life, um, maybe a week or two weeks. And that impact on me of meeting him, he was so irascible. He was, he was, a, he was a fucking asshole. Um, but he had this glow and this like knowledge and this, he was a, he's a prophet and a sage, Chris. I mean, you could just feel the magnetism coming out of his body. Um, I just, it changed my life. It made me realize that, uh, running is something more than just sport, which is what I thought of it at the time and something much more than just fitness. That it's what we just talked about in that last and in, in your last point. That it's something much more than that. It's a it's an accumulation of all these different things, which takes it to another level. And in my opinion, Arthur Lydiard is the one person who made that change. He's basically fundamentally responsible for the running boom that happened in the '70s because he influenced the great Bob Bill Bowerman, who went out to New Zealand to see what the heck was going on out there. And Bill Bowerman brought back jogging or running easy to the United States, which coincided with Frank Schwarter's winning of the 1972 Olympic gold Olympic marathon and with Nike's blue ribbon sports, the blue ribbon sports that ended up being Nike and this giant explosion that all happened at the same time. That doesn't happen without Arthur Lydiard in our sport here. Um, he was one of the greats of all time, in my opinion, as last Aviron. He was a direct influencer on the training principles and views that happened with him. I think the entire system that you're seeing in East Africa, both with Ethiopians and Kenyans, is based on the Arthur Lydiard model. You can draw a through line to where you can see the impressiveness in, of the performances. In the late, in the, in the mid-80s to the early 90s in the United States, we were at the absolute low point in our sport. That was when I was a competitive athlete, Chris. And the only people that were doing any performances at any level were the people who are optimizing and implementing Arthur Lydiard type principles. 
If you look at the rise of American distance running now, you will see direct lineages of Arthur Lydiard's teachings and Arthur Lydiard's approach through all the greatest performances you will see on the track and on the roads today. I don't know how you could have a more important person to the sport. So he's my first tip of the hat. Cheers to that. No doubt a heavy influence on both of us as coaches. My first shout out in this category goes to the American women competing at the highest level of this sport, both now and in recent history. I'm talking about athletes like the ones we've had on this show, Colleen Quigley, Cara Goucher, Marielle Hall, certainly that are more current, Dina Castor as well, Shalane, Lauren Fleshman, Des Linden, Jenny Simpson, Emma Coburn, Courtney Frerichs, and the list could go on, but there's a few things that I want to point out about this group that I just mentioned and inclusive of those that I haven't mentioned is, first of all, they're fans of each other, even though they're competitors. And I think it's Lauren Fleshman who actually coined the term fangirling, which is this idea that, you know, these girls and, and women can cheer for each other, even if they're competitors. And it came about when she was going through injury before she retired because she couldn't compete. But she said, look, I'm going to go fangirl. I'm going to cheer for all of my competitors on the side of the track, even if it's hard for me to watch. And so that ethos spread by her and others has just ignited in me a renewed willingness to be a fan. There was a time, and this was really before we started the podcast, where I became a cynic. The doping, the issues with bureaucracy and the bullshit at the top of the sport had really pushed me away. But to see these women cheering for each other, still being excited, and I believe doing it the right way, rekindled that fire. You know, listening to Kara Goucher talk about how she's still a fan because she loves running, even though she's seen the darkest sides of the sport, even though she's had money taken from her, medals taken from her, because of the ugly sides of the sport, that she's still a fan, that she still gets excited to, to cheer on those younger athletes coming up, it just, it tells me, well, why, like, if that's where she can be, why shouldn't I also be all in with it? And so I've got to thank them for that. Also thank them for teaching us what they're teaching us about how to compete at the highest level. You know, what Shalane has done through her work with Jerry Schumacher, what Des has done, what Molly Huddle has done with Ray Tracy, what Emma Coburn has done working with Joe and Mark and what they're willing to share then has shown us the work that is required to compete at the highest level and has gotten me excited as a coach, gotten me excited as a fan, as I already mentioned. And it's just, it's just really cool. And if you're not a fan of these women, and by the way, they're doing it in ways that the men just aren't. <laughs> And both categories that I just described, not to throw stones at the men, but the women are just elevating the sport in ways that are tangible, not just with somebody like me who's already a fan, but frankly for everybody 
who may not yet be fans, but is learning to be. And so shout out to the American women right now for kicking ass, taking names and truly elevating our sport. So Chris, I'm going to uh, riff right off of that and go right to their, their mama <laughs> or their yeah. grandmother as the case may be. Maybe that she's their grandmother. Um, God, I called Arthur Godmother. I, 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 I called yeah. I called Arthur Lydiard the uh, the Godfather and the game changer. Um, I called Joan Benoit Samuelson the Godmother and the game changer. You wouldn't have the results of all those women, Chris, if it weren't for Joan Benoit winning the nineteen eighty four Olympic marathon. Um, it that race um, was a culmination of sort of the running boom. Uh, and, and things kind of went into a dark place after that with the sport. But what a moment it was. Um, Joan had run unbelievable times and had some critical performances before this. But Chris, right before this 1984 Olympic marathon, she'd gotten hurt to the point where she was not able to run. She was not able to train in the way which she wanted to. She was completely sidelined and had to use alternative methods of getting fit and getting in shape. Um, but she had a limited, and then she had a limited window in which to get to the position that she could. Um, when I hear about all those stories about how hard it was for her to get to that point, it just makes you appreciate even more what happened on that hot day in Los Angeles. The, the groomed crown apparent on the men's side was Alberto Zalazar, who everyone thought would win the Olympic gold medal on the men's, on the, on the men, in the men's race. It didn't happen that way. Carlos Lopez, another one of my life heroes, did win that race. And uh, Alberto had a terrible day. I'm not even sure he made it to the finish line. But, but, but Joan showed that not only were Americans able to compete with the best in the world, but she would also show that the women's racing was for real. Now, the same race, Chris, there was a woman from Switzerland who basically stumbled all around because she got overheated. And this entire re formatting and rediscussion of whether women were capable of running 26.2 miles and whether they should even be out there doing that. The longest race distance on the track, Chris, for the 1984 Olympics was 3,000 meters. The marathon was the furthest race distance that they thought women could run. Joan Benoit comes out, does a double pump slam dunk, wins the Olympic gold medal, and in my opinion, absolutely changes the way that we view sport. Because she basically takes and says women are equal to men. That we can get as excited about the way women perform in their events as we can about men. It's not about skill set. It's not about height. It's not about whether you can dunk the ball. It's not about how, far your, how, far your serve, how hard your serve is. It's not about how far you can hit off the tee box, Chris. With running, it's just about competing. One foot in front of the other, mano a mano chin to chin, chest to chest, coming across finish lines. And Chris, in my opinion, Joan Benoit on this day basically says men and women are equal. And all the women that you just described in your long list, they need to dip, they need to tip their hat and they need to be thankful for the fact that Joan Benoit went out there and ran a race. And Chris, the way she ran that race, I can only call it one thing, ballsy. That may not be anatomically correct, but it is absolutely attitudinally correct. This woman went off the front, stole the race in the early miles. They let her go, and she just continued to get faster and faster, demoralizing the entire field, coming in 
to the Olympic Stadium so far ahead of everybody else, no one was even in sight. I mean, it's just to me, the, the way that she won this race made me realize that why would a woman be any less inspiring and any less me than a man's result? Um, I was 15, 14 years old, 15 years old when this happened, Chris. So it was formative to me because I kept thinking men were the people I should be looking at as heroes in my sport. It changed my entire life and the life, in my opinion, of every person that's a fan of our sport and especially to every woman who puts on running, laces up running shoes and gets out the door. And you know what, men? You too. All of you should also be thankful and grateful to Joan Benoit because she has raised the game to the point where all of us look and say, we're all equal here. Um, I'm not sure everybody would look at Joan Benoit as a gender equity champion, but I truly do because of the way that it impacted me in my life and the way that I looked at the sport and at women in general after this point. Women are equal or greater than men, and there's no doubt I will always know that because of the race result that Joan Benoit got at the Olympic Games. I probably should have known that beforehand. Mm-hmm. I should, probably should have known that in so many other ways. But as a whip smart, as a as a punk ass kid of 15 years old, I wasn't thinking that way. But my life changed with her result, and I believe the life of so many Americans has changed, and so many women around the world, just for her winning that first and initial Olympic gold medal in in Los Angeles for the first inaugural women's marathon. She's still kicking ass and taking names too. At the age of 61, she just ran a 3:12 in Chicago this year. <laughs> Yeah. Unbelievable. She's continued to be an ambassador of the sport. So yes, no doubt. A bow. Great bow and hat tip to Joan Bonoit Samuelson. My next one is going to be a shout out to those athletes in the sport that are toiling away outside of the limelight. That are trying, that are aspiring to be Olympic trials qualifiers that are aspiring to compete, to potentially make a podium at a U.S. championship whose names we don't necessarily know, but who are giving their best day in and day out, toiling without the spotlight, doing a crazy, crazy amount of work with no guarantee of a return. The athletes I'm talking about are, to name some that we've had on this show, Joe, the Joe Stillens of Zap Fitness, the Scott McPherson, who ultimately retired, who used to train with us with Rogue Athletic Club, Allison Maxis, who is still getting it done, even with a full-time job with Rogue Expeditions. I, I personally draw so much the the Sarah Sellers, who nobody would know about had it not been a crazy day in Boston earlier this year. The Ali Kiefer's who nobody knew about until she had a breakthrough last year in New York. It's those athletes. And sometimes we learn their names because they have the breakthrough that they've been working so hard for. But most often we don't. And yet they still work hard. They still inspire. They still pursue the sport as if they were paid like the Shalanes of the world. And I've had the opportunity, we've had the opportunity to meet some of those athletes through the years. And that group 
is so inspiring to me. And it's why, as we've talked about often on the show, that you have to celebrate those that finish down the podium or maybe off the podium because they're working as hard. They may be doing it with less resources and maybe with less talent, but they're working as hard and there's so there's so much to be inspired by from that group. And I remember when last year or two years ago watching the Olympic trials in LA, we had the Austin Marathon Expo the same day. And so we we had had it we had it set up to to play on the, a screen in our little expo booth, but I was running the booth and working hard and kind of doing a bunch of things and didn't really get to follow it all the way um, and track every single person. And Allison Maxis was there, who's been on our show, works with us with Rogue Expeditions. And she finished, Allison will kill me if I get this wrong, but I think 23rd, maybe 22nd, 22nd or 23rd on the day. And when I found that out after the fact, I, I was kind of behind our booth sort of grabbing lunch finally and taking a moment to figure out what was going on with her. When I found that out, I literally cried because, and Sarah Maidabaugh, who works with us, was there to, so she's like, I don't think she knew what to do, but I literally cried just because I knew how much work she put in to get that result and to be top 25 in the U S on that day on a hot day in LA. And most people would look down that list and not recognize her name or know who she is. But to know what work she does and what work athletes like her do, it inspires me to do my own work, even if I'm never going to be on a podium, even if I'm never going to make an Olympic trials team, because it's the same work. And so anyway, got to give a shout out to that group because they're never going to be recognized, most of them. And I just want those of you who are listening who might know an athlete who's trying to compete at that level, just understand that that's a role model, even if they don't get the national results to be recognized by the media. And follow them, listen to them, be fans of them, ask them questions, learn about their journey, because I guarantee you'll find somebody who can relate to you in your journey that will teach you things. So shout out to that. That next tier of athletes. Cool, Chris. Well, my final thank you to the sport um, is for the great Joe Vigil, who coached at Adam State for many, many years. Um, Coach Vigil was instrumental in my coaching career because he made me realize I had a great, I had a really good college coach, Chris, but Coach Vigil was one of, if not the greatest of all time, to step from one really good coach to an absolute great in the world. It was a very sudden and immediate change um, because the ethos and the energy and the in- environment that he created there in the middle of nowhere, Colorado, and believe me, Alamosa is in the middle of nowhere. Um, he got inspired by the preparation in 1967 of the 1968 Olympic Games. They came to Alamosa, Colorado to do training and to do the Olympic trials there for, to gain who was going to be on the team because the 68 Olympics were going to be in Mexico City at altitude. Coach Vigil was a former football player who was working in the exercise physiology lab at the time when exercise physiology was in the early day, very, very early days. Um, and they were doing experiments on these athletes. And Coach Vigil got involved in that process and quickly fell in love with the sport of running. And we are all 
should all be very thankful that he did because we don't have a Dina Dross and a Dina, Dina Castor without Joe V. Hill. We don't really have a Meg Kaflesky, even though Meb's coach was another coach in Bob Larson. It's Coach V. Hill's direct lineage that got that. I think every high school kid that currently is running faster than I ran or faster than anybody who ran in the 80s or 90s, guess what? You're doing that because Coach V. Hill and his principles are around. Every young coach is directly in line with the concepts and principles that Coach V. Hill brought about. What did Coach do? Coach brought Arthur Lydiard's basic training principles and added to it what we call, Chris, everything all the time. He basically said, you've got to run big miles. He, he's famous for saying, if you don't run 100 miles a week, then you shouldn't be an elite athlete. He's a true believer that no one should run 100 miles a week. No one should run competitively from the 1,500 meters up. I bet, I bet you he would even say the 800 meters up if you're not running somewhere in the, in the, in the vicinity of 100 miles a week. And certainly, if you're a marathoner, you shouldn't be. Um, and then he also brought to it, Chris, the consistent training in the exercise physiology zones that we've come to know as making incredible importance in how we evolve as a human organism. What different pieces of the puzzle have to be pulled in to allow an athlete to run at their best? So you got to do economy work and speed work. You've got to do VO2 max work. You've got to do long, you got to do short threshold runs. You've got to do long threshold runs. And finally, you've got to do the things that your race is going to require of you to run at the highest level. Chris, I'm the coach I am today, and I think many people are the coaches they are today because of Joe V. Hill. Joe V. Hill made, I think, the, a resurgence in women's distance running, you're saying, and I hope the resurgence we'll see in men's over the next five to 10 years. I believe there's a through line that goes right through Alamosa, Colorado, and the great coach V. Hill. I need to meet Coach V. Hill, by the way, and we need to figure that out at some point. Yeah, he's get, I've tried to get him on the podcast hard, a couple of times. It's hard to pin down. The other thing but, I yeah. want to, I don't want to, there's one thing I missed about Coach. There's one thing I want to tell people. As scientifically based as he was, as much as he was about making sure his athletes trained really hard and did all these things, the one thing that really every single one of his athletes will tell you that Coach is known for is his quote that he gets, that all athletes will know for sure. He would say over and over and over, get tough. Oh, shit, Steve, get tough. All the time, he would say that. And you know what? That sounds like just a simple, old-school, you know, bike-wearing, you know, bike-short-wearing coach who, who's just, like, like, doesn't have his foot grounded in what, the, what running is really all about. But honestly, at the end of the day, I do think that that's the most important thing coach would do. He would just tell you to get tough and to be more than you were capable of, that you could handle much more than you were capable of. So, coach, here's a shout-out to you. Get tough. Thank you for all you've done for me and for the sport of distance running in the United States. So I'm going to extend that and give a shout out to the broader coaching community, specifically those that have also been on our show. Greg McMillan, Peter Ray, John Shrupp, Coach Barnett, Jason Brooks, Mallory Brooks, and I may be missing others, but the thing that's cool about running coaches is that with maybe very, very few exceptions, it's an open community that has no problem sharing exactly what they're doing, exactly how they think about doing it, helping each other out. You know, it's a group of people that 
aren't making a lot of money <laughs> off the sport, but have found it as a life calling and passion. And as a result, they're not provincial. They're not territorial. They're an open book. And every time we have a conversation with somebody like that in our coaching community and running, they'll share whatever you want and they'll talk about whatever you want. And we steal from each other. We share, we steal, we borrow liberally, but it makes us all better. And to me, that's just cool because it's not often where you have experts in, a, in fields that they're willing to just so openly share. And as a result, we all get better and then our athletes get better. And so it's, it's just that ethos is cool, that ethos of sharing. And if it wasn't for the willingness of names, like I mentioned to share, then we wouldn't be as good at what we do as, as we are. And so shout out to the other coaches out there that have both shared with us and who are sharing with each other so that we can all be better in changing lives through this sport. So that's our final shout out on the sport at the highest level. We now want to turn to some more specific constituents and we're going to start with our listeners to, to thank you guys and I'll let you lead it off. So I, I think when we talked about this and formulated this idea, Chris, we talked about individuals, right? I just kept getting more and more general as I went along. So okay. I don't really have any specific um, athletes or listeners that I want to call out, although I have a feeling you might be doing that. But I'm going to be a little more general in my comments. And the first is I'm so thankful for the podcast and the podcast listeners because they let me be a preacher. I get to preach. Sometimes I wonder if I'm even a coach. I feel like sometimes maybe I'm just more of a preacher than I am a coach. I mean, I can't coach. I can coach my way out of a paper bag, but I, I'm, I love this format, Chris, that we get to talk about our sport. We get to share our ideas and our thoughts. Um, and, you know, it's running to me. Here's the key things we do on this podcast, I think. And I, what I'm so grateful that we have a million downloads of our podcast or a half a million downloads of our podcast or 10,000 downloads of our podcast or one download of our podcast. It doesn't really matter to me because I get to talk about running and racing and the way that that impacts the mind, the body, and the spirit. And that all of that comes down to in one single command performance. Chris, I don't know if I have a big, more of a philosophy of life than that, that we run and we train, we race, and we succeed or fail. We get ready for one big thing that makes our sphincter pucker and makes us get super nervous. And it makes us better people because it's better for our mind, our body, and our spirit. Um, Chris, I'm a proud preacher in the church of the long run, and I will be a servant to it for the rest of my life. I'm so grateful and thankful for this bully pulpit that this podcast has, has, has given me. And I promise I will continue to uh, share as long as you all will continue to listen. So I'm so thankful to all of our podcast listeners generally because it gives me a chance to have a voice and a sounding board and to preach the word. Amen. Preacher, <laughs> preacher Steve, Pastor Steve. So you might be surprised that I also became more general with this one, but I want to first just thank our listeners for giving us a chance 
You know, when we when we first recorded the episode in December of 2016, we did it a little bit on a lark, thinking, you know, I had this other podcast that I was working on. I had the gear. It's like, hey, let's just do this, see what happens, and see if anybody actually downloads it or cares. And we put it out there, and the world responded. People listened. And then they kept listening and we kept putting out content and they kept listening. And then our listener base grew from just Austin to beyond Austin. And now it's around the world. And, and I don't really get it, to be honest. I mean, it's, I mean, to be, I mean, I guess the only explanation I have is that we're wearing our passions on our sleeves here and people feel that connect with it. And, but it wouldn't be out there if people hadn't, listen to the first time giving us a chance maybe been patient with one of your rants or one of my <laughs> overly nerdy <laughs> uh, uh, discussions on a topic but they gave us a chance and and i just really appreciate it. i'm thankful that people want to hear from us and that continue to want to hear from us and engage with us both via email but also through the things we do like the Facebook live commentaries and it's just it's it's cool and it keeps us going because because people people want to hear from us you know chris i'm going to just riff on this for a second cuz I'll, I'll i'll pull it right into my next point which is i know why i know why and it's not because of you or me it's because there's a deep deep hunger for knowledge of our sport um, and while we do not stand here and say we are the experts that you should listen to only and exclusively, we do believe that we've got a point of view and a way of looking at this sport that, um, that can be really impactful. Um, we also have a bit of a desire to get you to pay attention to the sport sport of it. But most importantly, Chris, I think that there's just not another place for people to DIY it themselves. There's not another place for them to find this information. And so they're finding it because we stumbled our way into this process. As you failed in one podcast, we succeeded in another. And um, it's just been amazing. Well, and so many outlets in our world have told people that they weren't worthy of the principles that we talk about. If you're not fast, then you can't follow these principles fast in air quotes there. And that's bullshit. So we ripped that down and said, look, everybody has access to the same concepts, the same principles, the same workouts that anyone's doing regardless of pace. So people resonate with that and I get it. And I appreciate, but I just appreciate that we had that shot. What's your second one here? So this podcast is the way we broke it up. We sort of found our, stumbled our way into it, right? Where we decided to talk about the sport and then we decided to talk about training. And I now call these two things and my, they, they operate in my head as like the prize and the process. So the first thing is, and the prize is so important, Chris. And I, and I think that what I mean by think, thanking our podcast listeners is for them to resonate with this. We hear all the time how some people just fast forward through our prize part. I get that. I understand it. We hope they'll continue to listen, but we've also won some people over, Chris. We've get a lot of letters about people who feel like they're now a fan of the sport. And because, and the reason that we do that is because it's so important. It's important to put yourself out there. And hopefully what we're doing with this podcast is allowing you to see yourselves in Mo Farah's Chicago win or to see yourself in 
some way, shape, or form in this failure that Stephanie Bruce has at the New York City Marathon. That you can see that these people who put on their running shorts one leg at a time, they have injuries, they don't like to run in the cold, they've got to balance their family and the rest of their world. They're just like us, but they're operating at the highest level. And I, I'm so thankful that our, that our listeners have come on this journey with us, Chris. I think it's so important. Um, and I'm thankful and grateful that this podcast has made me realize that more and more, that the prize really is crucial. But really, the only reason the prize is crucial is because it brings us back to the process. And that process is putting one foot in front of the other, mile after mile, paying attention to your body, finding a group of people to do it with, and recognizing that you're an athlete, that you are Mo Farah, and you are Ali Kiefer, and you are Shalane Flanagan, because they think you are too, Chris. That's the big thing that's changed in our world over the last 10 years or 15 or t- years. When I was an elite athlete, I thought I was special. I'd work on a running shoe floor and think, oh, these people don't even know what it's like to run 60 miles or 70 or 80 miles a week or 100 miles a week. That's not true anymore. Our heroes are out there recognizing the value of their constituency, the value of the fans that are out there, and they are worthy of our praise and worthy of our following. Um, But they're only worthy because we can do the same thing that they do. We don't have to worry about doing a slam dunk. We just have to get the ball in the hoop, and we can keep getting the ball in the hoop week after week day after day, mile after mile. And this podcast has made me realize on both hands how important both the prize and the individual athletes' command performance goals are, as well as the process and how important the process to it. Sometimes I overvalue one or the other at certain times, but this podcast and the way we brought it together has forced me to recognize consistently that these are parts of the same thing. And I'm really thankful and grateful to that. Which is a good segue to my second one here, which is that I think because of what you talk about, people have responded and become fans. But I want to thank our listeners for becoming fans. You know, we were apologetic, skeptical, almost sheepish about our early <laughs> intros. We kept them relatively short. We tried to keep it tight so that we could get to our main topics quickly so that we didn't bore people. And now we're unapologetic because people have said, be unapologetic. I love the intros. We've also had people say, you know what? Initially, I hated it. I would fast forward, but I started to listen to more and more. And then eventually now, I, that's my favorite part, the intros. And so the fact that our listeners have become fans, I don't take any credit for, or you know, I don't think it's really about us. It's about our sport. It's given me faith that what we have in our sport is worthy of fanship and that if the powers that be and the media are willing to tell the stories and are willing to open it up to people and and communicate to them in a way that they can become fans, then it's possible. Like We can grow in our sport if outlets beyond us are willing to tell those stories and seeing people convert (laughs) has given me faith and excitement in the future of our sport because of that but it's also just made me even more of a fan too it sort of helped me see our sport with young innocent eyes again and 
it's given me new life as a fan as well, seeing it through new fans as our listeners. And so that's, that's just cool. So I just want to thank our audience for being patient, for being open, and for being converted. Absolutely. Well, Chris, I, uh, this next one will be short and sweet. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for you, my friend. Um, anybody that listens to this podcast probably knows that this would not happen if it weren't for Chris. Um, he gets to be the straight man. I get to be the color. Um, he allows me to do what I do in a better way because he's willing to hold the ground and keep the, keep the questions coming and keep the podcast on the rails so we can get to a final destination. If it were up to me, we would probably be wandering in the woods somewhere and everybody would have walked away and said, we're all lost. We're not going anywhere. Um, Chris, you're, you come with a level of preparation and a level of focus that um, I'm so grateful and thankful for. You make me better by you doing what you do. And you made me a better person. You made me a better coach. And you've made me a better fan of the sport because I've had to challenge and respond and go back and forth with you. So I think all of our listeners should also say a big thank you to Chris um, because you wouldn't have 115 episodes um, if this man uh, didn't do what he does on a weekly basis. So thank you, Chris. Well. I appreciate that. I didn't expect you to thank me, (laughs) but I have to thank you as well. You definitely bring out the best in me and bring out my passion in ways that wouldn't happen on my own, certainly. So thank you for that. My last one here is back to our listeners, which is I just want to say thank you for trusting us and following through on some of the things that we talked about and then sharing with us. I mean, like I said, we've had emails, two emails from out of the country this week of people that have employed some of our either race planning tactics or training elements in their races and as a result have had breakthroughs. But we get emails once, twice, sometimes three times a week from people that have listened and said, hey, I did this. I tried it. It worked. Thank you for helping me with that. And of course, we've had some of those listeners on in Mary Margaret, who was willing to be vulnerable. And by the way, I have a shout out for her. She got a PR in the half marathon. Pretty big one recently we never gave her running. our che- sent her our checks to yeah, right well <laughs> she wouldn't let us running uh, 148 and so even though she didn't have her marathon results she's continuing to get faster in other distances and we'll be coming back to the marathon next year but people like her who have listened experimented with it in their own lives trusted us to try it and then had breakthroughs it feeds us in ways that are hard to describe. And so thank you to those who have trusted us, tried things and shared and those who haven't, but have had those breakthroughs in their own world. We feel your energy and we really appreciate it because it, that's really at the end of the day, what keeps us going is changing your lives through what we share in this venue and in this sport. So thank you. All right. Now we've got two more specific constituents as we wrap things up. One, our podcast training group, which we started a year ago, essentially, last December, with our original group of about 25 athletes. Now that, uh, that group, after season two, is about 100 athletes. But we've got some specific shout-outs for that crew because they've also been a big part of continuing to help us evolve in how we do this and in what we share with, with you guys broadly. So Steve, what's your first shout out to that group? My first shout out is 
Basically, I thank them so much for allowing us to prove our concept. We have wrestled so many times, Chris, with, the on, with what an online platform could look like, whether we could do online training, whether we would have to go the one-on-one route that so many, nearly every other online training resource has. We felt like there had to be a way that we could implement what we do here in Austin, Texas at our physical location at 410 Pressler and, and in Cedar Park. Um, and damn it if we didn't pull it off. And we only would have pulled it off if we, by having a great group of people um, and for them trusting that we could do it. But Chris, we've built, you know, we've built this thing and I, people didn't think we could do it. There were many people that thought we were crazy. That, and, and I think maybe in some sense we wondered if we were crazy. We thought it would work, but we didn't know for sure. Um, and we, we felt like we could build a community. We felt like we could build a team and we felt like we could build a tribe online. And we did it. And, and it happened because of the great people that we had. So the first thing is, like, I'm so thankful that our concept worked here. Um, of course, this is basically probably going to just evolve over the next two ones into a repeat of the same basic thing. So I'm just going to wrap them all together, Chris, in one fell swoop. Because it's like, the only way that our concept works and the only way that this concept comes through is if you have amazing athletes. There's a long conversation, a lot of different people going back and forth about this idea that I come up with and have talked about on this podcast of being a dumb athlete. Um, and Chris, it's such a, it's such a wrestling match. I, I just go back and forth with it. I hate, I love dumb athletes because it makes it easier for me to do my job. But I hate dumb athletes in the sense because I want everybody to question everything that goes on because I want them to get a better knowledge of what is happening and what they're experiencing. But this group does the best of both, Chris. They're both dumb athletes in the sense that they'll do exactly what I tell them to do and follow the plans that, we have opti- that we've optimized for them, make adjustments as they, and, and, and do the things that we say even when we're tough on them. I've, I've given them strong words. I think there's a few people out there in that podcast training group who are a little bit afraid to speak up because they're afraid they might get, they might get pushed down. And I, I don't mean to do that. I just get passionate and excited about what I do. But I love that we have dumb athletes and that almost all of our athletes are dumb. But I also love that they're also smart and that they're questioning and wondering and want to know more about what's going on with their sport and what's going on with their bodies and why we're implementing the programs that we're implementing Please, podcast listeners, know I'm so thankful for you being both dumb and smart. When I say dumb athlete, sometimes it just feels like maybe you all think you sh- it should just be top-down, do as I say. And I really don't feel that way. And I, you all are the group of people that make me feel like it's not that way because you're such amazing athletes. I mean, Chris, we give them heaping piles of pain, and they gobble it up every week. This group has been a guinea pig. We've given them workouts that we've not given any other group that we've ever coached anywhere else on the planet. And we are, we are, we are, cutting, we are doing cutting-edge work with this group of people, and they keep coming at us. We are right in the teeth of the most important and biggest time for them as athletes. We've added load after load after load, and they're continuing to respond that they're able to manage and handle the workload that we give them. Chris, I'm so grateful and thankful for them as athletes. And finally, I'm going to put my last point in here. It wouldn't work if they weren't incredible people. I mean, the level of commitment and and, and support that they have for each other, the way that they roll with the punches and lift each other up, 
we've had a lot. We have a lot of magic here in Austin, Texas, in our facility here, Chris. But the magic that we have in this podcast training group, I'll just say it's at least equal to what we have with our face-to-face folks. There's something about connecting with people across the wires from far, far away that makes you believe that you can be better. You see their struggles. The people who were in cold weather were super inspired by the hot weather athletes and how they had to deal with their summer. Now, the hot people in the summer are looking at what's going, the people who live in warm weather climates are now looking at what's happening for those people who live in Sweden and Oslo and other cold places. And they're like, oh my goodness, how are you all surviving what you're doing? There's an esprit de corps and a sense of oneness with this group of people that I would not have known would be able to be there, except, Chris, that they're just amazing people. So I'm just grateful and thankful for all three of these things, that the concept works that we've got amazing athletes and we've got amazing people. So sorry for messing with the script a little uh, bit, but I just decided to go all the way through because I didn't want to cut it up. I just wanted to roll in one, in one long fell swoop. Well, then I'll add my piece in a fail swoop as well. I think the thing, just to comment on your last point there, the thing that's most powerful to me is the willingness to be vulnerable with each other in a forum in Facebook. I mean, we, we get that group sharing weekly how their workout went, good or bad. How, especially now as we're in racing season, how their races went, good and bad. The, the, the full race reports, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And then we get the group responding and coaching each other up and helping work through those tough workouts or those bad races or those missed goals as well as celebrating when everything goes well. And they do it with just an authenticity and an openness that you don't often see anywhere in our world. And honestly, you know, we get some credit because I think we create a space where that's safe. But I got to give them credit, especially the group that set the tone. And the first one on my list was the group I'm calling the OGs, mm. those first 25 people. And I, I won't name them all, but I'm talking about the Gregs, the Amandas, the Joshes, the Larry Kims, the Ron Romanos, the Kyles, the Georges, that group. And I could go on who jumped into this thing when we were first testing it out and jumped all in and set the tone a culture created this group we call them the renegades worldwide because they are indeed worldwide representing over 10 countries they set the tone for that and then the new folks who came in season two you know they're my second shout out because folks like jeff webb and camille and stefan and sean and even those who've struggled jeff brown Lori, Chris Martin, Scott, there's just so many examples. And again, I'm not going to list every Tomek of people that have taken that ethos and built on it, you know, built on it, you know, and stepped it up and made it even more powerful, even though we've got a hundred people all sharing their gory details about their training. And so my first shout out, the OGs, second to the newbies who joined us in season two, And then my third thing, I just want to give a shout out for their willingness to do what we ask them to do with no one watching. And this is true of our listeners too. 
who might be following some of our workouts. Virtually people are watching because they have to or they are reporting back, but but nobody's watching when they're doing some of these race prep workouts with mile repeats at the end of a bunch of marathon goal pace work that we just gave them. No one's there to help them pace those workouts, to give them water, to coach them off the floor if something goes wrong. And so they're doing that all on their own. And yeah, they're supported by this group virtually and us that are connected to to them in other ways. But in that moment, when the shit's going down, it's just them. But yet they approach it with such tenacity and fearlessness and commitment that is just frankly unbelievable to me. I don't know if I could do it by myself. You know, I have a great team here that I can run with people, a group of people that I can run with. I, didn't, I don't know if I can do it. So it is so inspiring to me to see that done by this group. And I just want to thank them for that. It inspires me as a coach. It inspires me as an athlete. It inspires me to be my best self broadly. So that's my final shout out to the podcast group. 100%. Now we have to turn to the group that's nearest and dearest, closest to us, which is the road community started here in Austin, now extends to Dallas. We'll soon be extending to other cities beyond Dallas, and we'll have more details about that, New York being the next one on the list. But if it wasn't for this community that we know here, certainly, and we know now in Dallas, none of this would be possible. So start with your shout-outs for Rope. Well, it's to our team. I mean... Chris McClung, Carolyn Mangold, Ruth England, Jen Harney, and then, and then our 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 current um, MVP, Mitch, up in Dallas, keeping the keeping the balls rolling and keeping everything going, um, and all our coaches that are here. How have has Rogue survived? Hard work, Chris. Hard work from this group of people. Um, Little to no pay, blood, sweat, and tears, all hands on deck, putting out fires, setting up stages, pulling stages down, up before dawn, not finishing work till way after dark. It's, it's thankless. It's really, really hard schlepping coolers when it's hot, schlepping coolers when it's cold thinking about all the details that have to be played out to make all of this work. Chris, the shout-out goes to those who do the day-to-day labors that have allowed us to be able to be on this podcast doing what we're doing right now. No doubt. My first shout-out goes to our athletes for being the real proving ground. And this started before I was even involved with Rogue, you know, with you and Ruth and Carolyn as founders with a group called the Performance Project, essentially, where you said, hey, we're going to test the boundaries of what it means to apply elite training principles to the everyday athlete who has jobs and kids and daily life. And that group, some of them sacrificed themselves literally on the mantle that would become rogue because they got injured they had 
ups and downs, but but this group through the years who is in our community here and now is our community broadly in in Dallas, they're willing to let us experiment and test and try new things and show us what works and what doesn't work. And if it wasn't for that proving ground and you and I both are this way and all of our coaches are where we're constantly evolving, testing, training, learning, and as a result, getting better at what we do because of these athletes here who have trusted us and given us this platform to test them, test each other, do big things together. And so I just wanted to give a shout out to our athletes, our community for being that original proving ground. Yeah, I'm just going to, my second one is basically that um, as well. It's here and in Dallas, you know, Um, they keep showing up, Chris, and they make us see the work we're doing as good work. I think I've said this on this podcast before. When I worked at the University of Texas, I'd walk down, we had the training room in the same training facility that the football team did and they had a sign that I would walk by every single day and it had a picture of Mac Brown who was the current head football coach at the UT at the time and it had a picture of him and it said athletes are a reflection of their coach I, I couldn't be more proud because as a coach here the athletes and the community have um if I'm anything close to the kind of people that our community is, and I had anything to do with that, then I can be proud for the rest of my life. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So I'm so thankful and grateful to the Rogue community, both here and in Dallas. I got to give a shout out to my teams here in Rogue. First and foremost, the morning show, the Wednesday morning group that I coached, started coaching that group in 2010. I think I had 20 two or 23 original athletes that group is now over 100 working with sam and other assistants through the years to help me lead that group but that group that i get to lead as a coach every week is really for me now the source of most of of my joy in the sport my inspiration there's a lot of things we talked about on this podcast, but that group's my baby and my community, my closest community here, and has a huge range of athletes, all paces represented, all distances represented, all sort of personalities and ethos, and yet they show up at Wednesday morning, on Wednesday morning when it's dark at 5.30 a.m., this morning when it was 30 degrees, and they do the work week in and week out. Some of them have trained with me for eight years and have grown with me for eight years. And if they, they keep me going. They keep me going. Their results through the years have inspired me in Houston, as I've talked about this year as I got my marathon PR. Their faces were the things I was thinking about as I was finishing that race to get everything out of it, to get my PR by 12 seconds. And so, first of all, shout out to the morning show. Love you guys. So inspired by you guys. Second, shout out to my team, 
that I train with, Team Rogue, to be able to run alongside that group has taught me that running is more than a solo sport, certainly. And I won't even list names because if I did, I'd miss somebody. But but I've been so inspired as an athlete by myself, myself challenged, pushed, inspired, transformed because of running side by side with that group for many, many miles. And I believe my fastest day are st- days are still ahead because of that group. So shout out also to Team Rogue, who I count as my running mates. Well, my final shout out is to the same group of people that you just referenced. Um, I talked about how important team was um, early on in terms of my teammates being an inspiration to me from the sport in general. Um, and of all the teams I've ever been a part of and all the teams I've ever had, Team Rogue is by far the most meaningful and the most um, impactful. I can honestly say I would not be here today if it weren't for my team. You know, sometimes I let them down. Sometimes I'm not always there. Sometimes I haven't always been um, in the best frame of mind or handling my business in the best way I possibly can. But they always stood up. And I wouldn't be here on this podcast. I wouldn't be in Austin, Texas. Chris, I wouldn't be changing lives through running without each and every athlete that committed to the crazy lunacy that we have built most recently over the last five years at Team Rogue. And I really do think of those as the heydays when really everything came to a head and we were able to get performance after performance and athletes were all buying in and believing in what we were doing and what we were trying to accomplish. When I came back from coaching at the University of Texas, I was broken. I was depressed. I was sad. I didn't know where to go with my life. I sort of came back to Team Rogue in this weird synchronicity that they just lost their coach the day that I was let go from my job at UT. Many people thought that that was engineered. I can be honest with you, and I think anybody that's been a part of all this know that that is absolutely not true. And the other coach that, who, who stepped away, he would also admit to that, that this all happened serendipitously at the same time. And from that moment on, Chris, I just got stronger and stronger as a person and as a coach. The Team Rogue became my family, and they sustained me. They make me better. And I think most importantly, Chris, and this is the thing that really is important, and all the podcast listeners know that I have a soft spot in my heart for the philosophies that were expounded by the rogue and renegade spiritual teacher, Carlos Castaneda. Whether his thing, whether the people that he talks about, the, the Juan Matus, who was his who was his um, Don Juan, his, his mentor and teacher, whether that person existed or not, it doesn't matter. But I remember for so many years being struck by a phrase that Carlos Castaneda used that he, to describe what Don Juan was trying to get Carlos to pay attention to in his, in his spiritual teachings. And it was that he needed to find a path with heart. I've talked about this on this podcast. It's things we'll be talking about in the future as we discuss more and more about mental training techniques and, spir- and, and, and training techniques that go beyond just the body. Team Rogue truly made me realize that running is a path with heart. And not only was running a path with heart for anybody, but it was specifically my path with heart. I would not know that if it weren't for Team Rogue. And for that, which is the greatest gift, coming full circle from why I'm thankful for running in general, Team Rogue is the group that made me Refall in love with running and recognize it as a path with heart, both competitively and as a way of being and a way of life. So, 
Thank you, Team Rogue. We used to have a shirt that we sold at the Austin Expo because it's Austin Marathon Expo because it's near Valentine's Day. It was a shirt that just said run love. And so my last shout out to our community is thank you for the run love. Because in so many ways, through the ups and downs in this sport as an athlete, as a coach, as a business, there's been one common thread from those closest to us in our community here at Rogue, which is that there's always love, no matter what. And that may sound cheesy. (laughs) It may sound silly, but it's real. And every time I stand in front of a group of our athletes, whether it be on Saturday morning or Wednesday morning or Tuesday morning or Thursday morning or Friday night, which I will do this week, I feel it. And it, it sustains me and I think it sustains our community and keeps people coming back. Keep people connected to each other because they find that same run love when they're here. And it's hard in today's world where we're surrounded by discord to find love. And so I just want to thank our community for for giving and continuing to give love in the context of what we do here moving through space. As you said, it's a path with heart. I'll say it's run love. So there you go. Those are our shout outs and thank yous and I don't know, sappy missives about what we do here. I thank you now for those who've made it all the way through this one for indulging us in this love letter of sorts to what we do through this podcast we did want to leave you with some things coming up for 2019 and ask of you a few things as we shift into episode 101 and beyond first of all things coming up one of the things that we've gotten a question about many times is how can you how can people help or contribute if they would like, we're working on getting a Patreon account set up. Patreon is a online vehicle for donating to creators. And while we didn't, don't expect donations of anyone, but for those that want to support us in some way to keep us doing what we do, do keep us ad-free, which we're committed to, then that'll be a way for you to potentially give back. So stay tuned for more as we, within the next six weeks or so get our patreon account set up secondly we've got we are going to be updating and transitioning our podcast training platform to something that's more robust currently we're using basically a web page and a facebook group much to my chagrin it's pretty <laughs> janky but it gets the job done and i think is is really really cool but we're in discussions to actually transition that to a more formal coaching platform, which we're super excited about. And we'll have more details coming very soon about how you can get signed up for our next podcast season, which will start in January on this new platform. Uh, We're going to be working through in terms of episode content. We're going to be working through some refined content on our mental training framework. Some people have asked for 
a more distilled version, something that, that they can implement more in a more structured way. And so we're working through that framework and we'll be sharing that via podcasts in 2019. We'll have some announcements soon on our next Endorphin Book Club. So we've we had a little break from that because we basically set the bar too damn high on our first two. But there will be more <laughs> Endorphin Book Club opportunities coming in 2019. And we're going to be doing more live calls. You've told us live commentary races and potentially marathons. You've told us that you've enjoyed that. And so we want to bring that to you more and in a more refined way in 2019. So stay tuned for all of that. Of you, we ask only a few things. One, please do write us a review on iTunes. It's helpful in helping us spread the word and get out to others who might be looking for similar content. So if you wouldn't mind dropping into iTunes or writing us a review, that would be super helpful. We don't ask often, but when we do, we'd love it if you could. And then finally, if you have topic suggestions or things you would like to see from us in 2019, please do, or questions, please do continue to share those. Best way to to get in touch with us is via my email, chris at roguerunning.com. Or if you'd like to include both of us, chris at roguerunning.com and steve sisson at roguerunning.com. Steve Sisson, all one word, at roguerunning.com. That's how you can connect with us. Please do share what you'd like to see from us in terms of topics and content and questions, and we will definitely incorporate that into our 2019 planning. So there you go, Steve. That's episode 100. We did it. With that, we will wrap it. Thank you all again for listening. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or the Facebook at Rogue Running. Until episode 101, we will talk to you soon.